0: The Holy Gospel comes to us today from the book of Mark. Mark Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me. And I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. The word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We have this call story before us this morning, similar to last week. Last week we had the call of Samuel from God himself under the tutelage of Eli, the, uh, the, chief, uh, the chief priest of the tabernacle at the time. And it was Eli, uh, or it was Samuel that was called into the service to speak truth into Eli, to Hold him and his entire family accountable for the teachings and the leadership within worship of Israel and how broken it had become. It was Samuel that would later grow in stature, and it was Samuel that would embark in the course of uh, fulfilling what Israel was desiring as they continued to depart in the relationship, relationship from God. They wanted, they begged, they pleaded for a king, and it was Samuel charged by God to anoint the king, Saul, to be the first king of Israel. And after Saul would be the anointing of King David that Samuel also performs in the service of annunciation of who he is, and King David becomes the greatest king of Israel's history. It is out of King David's lineage in which we have before us today the Son of Man, God in the flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, walking along the Sea of Galilee. And the call story is him showing up on scene and calling his earliest disciples and kind of equating it to fishing. He says to Andrew, he says to Peter, he says, put your nets down. He says the same thing to John and James. Put your nets down and I will teach you how to fish for people. This analogy of fishing, so to speak, is one that uh, is kind of odd. This past week, as I was at home for half of it with influenza, anyone been there lately? Oh, it's a joy. It's a joy, it's why I also have that bass tone today. So I thank you, Rod, for singing, because it was going to take me into an old cafe. sound like I uh, smoked a pack of cigarettes. So I didn't do that. Instead, what I did this week is I found myself thinking about our text and this analogy of this fishing for people. Well, uh, anyone love fishing? I'm <clears throat> not going to call everyone out. We had some, uh, our Saturday crowd is full, uh, full of some of our more uh, phenomenal fishermen. Uh, if, if you want to learn some skills, come hang out on a couple Saturday nights and, or come to a Tuesday morning at Perkins and there's some seasoned fishermen there. But when we talk about fish, there's something interesting about it. The goal of fishing, for some of us, of course, it's catch and release, but at the end of the day, especially in Jesus' time, the role of the fishermen was to feed the village, amen? Without the fishermen, the, there was going to be a massive lack of protein on their table. You needed the farmers and you needed the fishermen, and so this concept of fishing... The goal of the fish is to put fish in the market, and that market to be placed on the table. I don't know if you've ever been to a sea market. One of the joys that I did have growing up, my dad grew up in Brooklyn, New York, so I had the gift as a South Dakota child to spend many a time over in New York City. And there were a couple occasions down in Manhattan by the harbor, the fish market, it stinks. (laughs) Nothing about it smells good nothing about it it smells like death amen growing up I also going to visit family on my mom's side in Minnesota we'd go to lakes up by Brainerd Minnesota often and one of my favorite things to do was to go out on a boat with people and to fish or with my grandfather to fish one of my least favorite experiences of that however is the cleaning house afterwards amen again it smells like death I'm going to pause solely and utterly on that image of death and that smell for a moment. What we have going on in our story this morning is Jesus showing up for the very first time and giving what we call, what we theologians call, his very first sermon. I know we oftentimes say that his Sermon on the Mount was his one and only real sermon. No, actually his very first sermon starts right here out of the gate in Mark. The time has come, he says. The time has come and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. Our Lord's first sermon to you is repent. Repent and believe. like we've also shared many a time that repentance in the greek the word metanoia it's a passive term it's a passive term meaning you are going to be repented and actually the word metanoia also takes us into uh, a call of something outside of our mind outside of ourselves as bishop barron would say this week he talks about thinking outside when christ shows up he is going to change you he is going to turn you and he is going to force you to think outside of the norm amen and that is exactly what he is going to do in our text this morning and that is exactly what he's going to do with the lives of every single person he encounters throughout his ministry He shows up on those riverbanks, or on the riverbanks, on the the, the banks of the Galilee, and his sermon is repent. And at the same time, he is seeing these disciples, these men who he is going to choose to call into service in this repentance. One thing we know in Luke's gospel, if we were to go back to um, Luke's gospel, we have this hint with Andrew. We always give so much credit to Peter. Peter is Uh, kind of the flagship of the disciples in time. But Andrew has already had this encounter in Luke's Gospel. Andrew and some of his friends were already engaged in following John the Baptist. John the Baptizer, as we call him. In fact, if you notice, right away in the beginning of our text this morning, it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. So, What we know is that Andrew and a few of his friends have already been hearing the sermons of John, and they were fascinating. They were already hooked, pun intended. They were already hooked on this message of hope, this message of change that is to come for Israel, this message of change that is to come into their lives. And now John the Baptist is arrested, so now imagine... Your great preacher, the revolutionary uh, of sorts, is there, and now all of a sudden the authorities have arrested him because John doesn't speak along with the status of quo. Go figure. Preachers aren't called to preach along with the status quo. And now he's arrested, and so what does Andrew do? I guess he's back to work. Back to work with his brother Peter. I imagine he was probably having conversations about what could have been. I imagine he was full of curiosity and wondering what's going to come of all this. And there's the man on the banks. Repent. The gospel, the good news is near. Hey, Andrew, Peter, why don't you put your nets down? I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. Imagine. Now, culturally speaking, when young boys were in Israel growing up, what they would do is, uh, when they were children, between the ages of 6 and 10 years old, they went to, to a process. It was a chapter of their life called Beit sefer Bates' Affair is when all young Jewish boys would spend time in their synagogues day in and day out. The synagogue functioned as the community hub, the community center. It wasn't just a place of worship. It was also the place of education, communication, and trade. And for the young boys there at the synagogue, they're going to learn the... Uh, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And not only are they going to memorize or read the Pentateuch, they're going to memorize it word for word for word. Now, of course, we in our audacity today want to debate whether or not Genesis actually really matters or whether it really happened the way it was. That's not even up for debate in Beit Safar. In Beit Safar they were memorizing word for word for word because their education system was faith, and their faith was what formed their education. Amen? Word for word, they memorized every single one of, uh, one of the words within the Torah. At the end of that chapter of their life, Most of the boys, over 90% of them, would have gone back into the home and have stayed and learned the family trade, learned the mending of the nets, learning how to plant seeds, learning how to be blacksmiths and how to contribute to society and their community. But the best of the best, the brightest students, would have at that chapter in their life gone on to what they call Beit Talmud. Beit Talmud was from about 11 to 15 years old, about middle school-ish. That is where Scott, where are you? I know, Scott, you guys changed it. You moved. That's where Scott and, and his crew over at the middle school, they would have identified those Beit Talmud students, and they would have then taken it a step further. They didn't just memorize the Pentateuch. They now memorize the entire Old Testament. Scott, I want you to take that back to the curriculum of the school, right? We're going to memorize word for word. I know, I'm totally picking on Scott. No, I'm just kidding. I'll pick on the rest of the teachers at other times. They would have memorized word for word the entire Old Testament, including every psalm that would be chanted. And again, when that process came to an end, many of them would go back into their community, and those that have gone through Beit Talmud would have certainly had an Upper status in that socioeconomic reality. But there again, the brightest of the bright at that point would enter into what's called Beit Midrash. Now, Beit Midrash is a moment in which the students, and we're talking like less than 1% of Israel's society, they would have sought out their rabbi. You see, rabbis never came seeking out the students. No, there's too much ego and pride involved in that. And, and, and to be completely honest, that has continued on all throughout society. You see, professors didn't come to me in college and say, hey, Craig, we think that we want you to be a pastor. Actually, I'm going to pause on that. I did have three professors in college that say, I think you should consider ministry. But they didn't come applying to me. No, the student applies to the rabbi. And there's a lot of integrity that goes behind that because the rabbi is going to grill that student they're going to call them chapter book and verse and they're expected to recite it perfectly but not just to recite it they're expected to also give their interpretation of it and that interpretation is going to be rooted in scripture rooted in theology and they are going to have to de- demonstrate that they actually know what they're talking about why because they are going to be the theological minds that shape the future of Israel, and they are going to be the legal minds that interpret and shape the future of Israel. So a lot is at stake when a student enters into Beit Midrash and wants to learn from the top rabbis of society. But not for these 12. Not for our disciples. Instead, the rabbi is going to seek them out. He's going to seek out the common fisherman. He's going to seek out Simon the Zealot, who is absolutely on fire. He is a warrior for God. He is going to seek out uh, Matthew, a tax collector. He's going to seek out these very specific individuals for his reason that only God knows, And he is going to call them into the ministry with the very first sermon. Repent and know that the kingdom of God is near. I'm going to use you to fish for people. Their lives change. And when I say change, I mean every aspect of their life is going to change. Now back to the analogy. The irony about fish is it's going to end up on the table, amen? What Jesus is calling them into is bringing people to the kingdom. But part of coming to that kingdom involves going to the market, so to speak, and now I'm speaking an analogy. Coming to the kingdom means coming face to face with reality, face to face with truth, and face to face with death. One of my favorite theologians of modern times, and you've heard me preach about him before, you'll hear it many a time into the future. I'm reading a phenomenal book right now that talks about the bio- biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In one of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's most famous statements, his most famous statement, which he pens into the, into the words of the book um, A Cost of Discipleship, which he wrote while he was in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. What does that mean? What does that mean for us? As I engage with people day in and day out, I think I have a lot of people, we have a lot of people that wonder whether or not they've ever actually received a call at all. Well, you received a call in your waters of baptism. You received a call when, through faith in the Spirit, you were led to those waters, whether it was in the arms of your mother and father. For some of us, whether it was a a calling of sorts later on in our life as young adults or older adults the spirit led us to the waters the spirit named us and in that name in that mark of christ in that cross placed on our foreheads we too were called and beckoned hearkened into the service of god but i think and i fear too many of us are more interested in chasing little shiny bright colored spinny lures through the water amen I've watched some phenomenal people, phenomenal in the title of Status by Society, deeply, deeply struggle and the chaos that happens on the boat. Jess read for us also the story of Jonah. Jonah's a great book. It's only a few chapters, and you can sit down and read it in less than an afternoon. What's ironic about Jonah is Jonah, too, has this call from God And every step of Jonah's call, he's trying to run away from God. He's trying to run away, and instead God actually sends a fish, a whale. Some people say, is it a story about a whale or a whale of a story? It's God's word, and and God sends a whale to uh, capture Jonah in his attempt to escape And he spits them right out on the banks. Now, you're not going to get away. When God is calling you into service, when God is calling you into a chapter of your life, whether that's as a doctor, whether that's as a plumber, whether that's as an accountant, a teacher, when God calls you in, he's going to place you, and he's going to place on your heart exactly the people that you are going to call. He's going to catch you in his net. And he's going to put you on the banks to do exactly what he needs you to do. And through the Spirit, you're going to accomplish it. But sometimes we just simply need to hear the words given to us. You see, the irony with Jonah, the one prophet that tried to run away from it all time and time again, he actually was the most successful prophet of the entire scripture. He actually got the entire city of Nineveh to actually repent. Every single one of them winds up putting on a sackcloth and receiving, oh my gosh, we are in the wrong so if Jonah can do it even in his an attempt to escape imagine the calling that God has for each and every one of us but it does require us to ignore the shiny spinning things moving through the water you don't need to focus on the bait that the society and the world places in front of you time and time again because whether you like it or not you're going to get caught up in the net and when we are caught in the net We stand firm in the faith, and standing firm in the faith is trusting in the Spirit, because the Spirit will give us exactly what we need when we need it. He gives us the words to speak, the words of truth that need to be spoken exactly when it needs to be spoken. And when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And we are united in those waters of baptism. We are united in the death of Christ. But that is not the end of the story because we are also united. In a, when we are united with him in a death like his, we are certainly reunited with him in a resurrection like his. Which, by the way, comes from your book of Romans, which we will study. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. You're caught in the net. You're sent to the market. We do God's work and we cling to his journey along the way. Thanks be to God.